going live. <gasps> we're live. Yay. Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Fox Den. I know we're getting on just a little bit late. Of course, you know, because there's always technical difficulties here and there. But we Okay, are come here. on. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Oh. It was a man's fault. A man's? A man's fault. Who? Which man? Because he was late. He's in the green room. <laughs> yeah, he, he, gets, he doesn't get the green M&Ms. Right? No, that's for sure. No green M&Ms for him. <laughs> yeah, and he gets the square ice cubes. <laughs> oh, no. George would be jealous. <laughs> I know it. I know it. So so anyway, let's see. Are you you put up the um, comments. I'm going to be playing the the video. Yeah. Um, the show will go live in five seconds. Good evening, everybody. I am Gina B with Mama D. We got our two guests waiting in the green room, and they'll be here with us as soon as the video ends telling you who they are. We'll be right back. Good evening, everybody. I am Gina B, and the place to be is here with me and Mama D every Thursday evening from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here in the Fox Den. Tonight we have Dr. Ellen Leica and Harriet Tinka. They share harrowing and traumatic escapes from death. His from a misdiagnosis of what he was told was a terminal illness, and she from a nearly fatal kidnapping and beating by a stalker. Together and individually, they faced their experiences with courage, and they found the inspiration in each dawning day. Dr. Alan Leica is best known as one of the leading cosmetic dermatologists in the world and is now acknowledged as a leading expert in living a fantastic life and turning points. He is a transformational speaker, thought leader, coach, and a mentor. Harriet, a gorgeous former runway and magazine model, found new life as a transformational speaker, a passionate life coach, blogger, chartered professional accountant, football official, and an ultramarathon runner. Dr. Alan Leica and Harriet have teamed up to put the wisdom they have gleaned since their traumas into this powerful new book, The Secrets of Living a Fantastic Life, The 13 Golden Pearls Within that they've discovered. And they are here today to share some of those secrets of living a fantastic life. And we welcome you both to the Fox Den. And good evening. <laughs> and Harriet, it's so nice to finally meet you. Hey, everyone. Thank you. Yeah, nice to meet you both. Super excited to be here. She's gorgeous. Oh, I'm really, really, really happy. <laughs> look at, look at, I got, I got the only golden pearls I had that I'm wearing before the show. And I guess pearls over here. Oh. She's got some pearls on. We're, we're representing as best we possibly you are. can. I love yeah. pearls. Come and, on. And we're trying, we're trying to keep in the theme. You got it. I got it today. She I did didn't. Not. I didn't. Yeah, she, I didn't. Oh, I'm in Canada. Well, I didn't. You know, it's the same time. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Quebec mail. You know. Yeah. <laughs> It'll get there. It'll, It'll get, get there. there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's right. just that Gina was like, I got my book, did you? And I, my niece went to the mailbox because I checked it earlier. So she checked mm -hmm. it later and she went, nope. And I said to Gina, I said, I didn't get my book. And she went, hey, hey, I did. I went, mm. 
<laughs> look, look, look at that like innocent little look on that face. <laughs> you like you like sisters, eh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh my god. That is yeah. wonderful. But I, I have to say I, I really enjoyed the book. Although I did not get to read this book, I read it on my computer because I had it on my computer before I had the book in hand. Oh, and yeah. um I love the way that it was written. Oh, totally unique. Yeah. yeah. I mean, awesome, awesome. It's a conversation. Well, you could blame that on Harriet. You could blame that on Harriet. That's the way she wanted it. We kept it yes. See, then it was done correctly. Yeah, there you go. There we go. Yeah. It was I a like, lot of fun. I like it. All right. So let's start with you. Alan, okay, so tell me a little bit about yourself and how it felt when the doctor said, you have six months to live, so you better get your affairs in order. You know, I'm going to take you a little bit further back than that, and I'm going to tell you how I got to that place. Okay. I was walking with, in Disneyland with my wife, Lucy, and our youngest daughter, and my wife turned to me and said, what's wrong with you, hun?" You know, I was taken aback for once in my life. I hadn't said anything wrong. I hadn't did anything wrong. I hadn't even thunk anything wrong. But my <laughs> wife persisted. She said, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I think Bob could probably relate. Well, you, you know that. And then, and my wife, you know, I said, what, what do you mean what's wrong? She said, listen to your foot. I said, come on. What do you mean listen to your foot? Well, she said, listen to it. And my right foot had suddenly and mysteriously developed a right foot drop. Every step I was taking, I was clapping on the pavement. Now, your brain is designed not to let that happen. Your brain doesn't let that happen. Otherwise, you'd fall flat on your face. But something had gone wrong with my nervous system. And my wife was perceptive to pick it up. She said, did you have a stroke? I, I said to my wife, here. You're a doctor. I'm a doctor. This is how a stroke does not present. A stroke presents as you lying on the pavement, uh, salivating, doing crazy things. And she said, well, there's something wrong. When we get back, you better get it checked out. Well, you know what you do when your wife says you better do something. You better do it. You better do it. Well, you better do it. Mm -hmm. And I did it. I got back to Canada and I had a gazillion dollars worth of tests. I had brain scans. I had cat scans. I had pet scans. I had scan scans. And you know what they showed at the end of the day? You got to tell us? Nothing. <laughs> well, they showed absolutely nothing. Nothing. You know, they thought I had a brain tumor or they thought I had a slip disc or something. But there was nothing on all those tests. And you know what doctors do when they don't get an answer on tests? Nothing's wrong with you. No. They don't Make accept that as the answer. They keep oh. doing more tests. I was one of those doctors, remember. If that one test doesn't give you an answer, another test will do it. And another test will do it. I'll tell you, I haven't even had I had tests that haven't even been invented yet. That's how many <laughs> tests they did. And you know, at the end of the day, I ended up on the doorstep of a world-leading neurologist. Now, neurologists are the brain guys. They're supposed to have all the answers to all these puzzles. So I walked in and I said, hi. He said, hi, Dr. Laika. You better be sitting down when I tell you this. 
I said, why? I've got a dropped right foot. He said, no, you don't. You have ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Get your affairs in order. Six months from now, you're going to be dead. Said it that nicely? Yeah, I said that nicely. And I said, well, is there a way to prove this diagnosis? And he said, of course, on autopsy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So nice then, uh, then you're in panic, even though you're a doctor and you you kind of understand what's going on in the field. No, I tell them. I tell them. I tell them. Oh no, I'm not going to die to prove you wrong. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know. That's that's when you definitely start, you know, bringing out that I need second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth opinions, even though you had the million tests. Well, I had a hundred opinions. I had two hundred opinions. No one knew the answers. But you know, when you get that load of bricks on you, Gina and Mama, you know you go through a grief reaction. Elizabeth yeah. Kubler-Ross yeah. wrote it about it in her book called Death and Dying. So when you're dying, you go through anger. You start getting angry at everybody. You can bite the head off nails. You go through bargaining. Oh God, please don't let this happen. I'll do anything if you don't let this happen. You go through denial. There's really nothing wrong. I can do anything. So I was working 12 and 18 hour days doing everything that I love doing, my cosmetic surgery. and But I knew in my heart of hearts there was something wrong. But the worst mm -hmm. of all is when you go through deep depression. You go through this phase where nothing matters. You could lie in bed for days, everything black, everything's miserable. And depression is really, really the worst of all. But you know, in my heart of hearts, I knew there was an answer. So I asked my wife, what do I do? She said, well, those dumb doctors couldn't figure it out. You're smart, figure it out yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, these women like to hit you in the ribs when they're down and try to make you do stuff when you don't want to do it. And my wife knew that- If you're really good at it, you make it interested <laughs> enough that it's your idea. You got it. <laughs> you, that's right. My one said, you figure it out. So I went to figure it out. And back in 2003, there was this brand new thingy that was invented. It was called the internet. You ever hear of that? Mm, yeah. Harriet, yeah. <laughs> you ever hear of the internet? <laughs> On and off. <laughs> it's yeah. news to me. But back in 2003, it was so bad, you used to have to use dial-on connection. So your yeah. phone had to phone some other phone, and it would go yeah. ring on, ring on, for a half an hour or so. And finally, you'd finally be able to do stuff. But you know, you had to look up every individual site you wanted by hand. Because there was no Google. There was no Yahoo. There was no AOL. There was no search engines. Those were not invented yet. Right, right. But I had some friends that were nerds. They knew <laughs> what to do. They knew how to master this beast. So with their help, I found a doctor in Colorado Springs, Colorado, by the name of David Martz. And he had a disease very similar to what I had, but he got worse much more rapidly and within weeks, he was on his deathbed, okay? Wow. He couldn't lift his head from a pillow. So doctors from around the world came to see him. They were saying goodbye to this wonderful doctor. And, you know, 
one doctor came up from Texas and he looked at David and he said, David, I don't think you have ALS. I don't think you have Lou Gehrig's disease. David whispered, what do I have? The doctor from Texas said, I think you have chronic Lyme's disease. That's the bite of a tick. The, and it mimics everything, he said. It mimics ALS. And David said, well, what do I do? The doctor from Texas said, you need to do nothing. I'm going to start you on some treatments. And if I'm right, you will get rapidly better. Well, he started on treatments. And within two weeks, David was like Lazarus arising from the dead. Nice. He was able to everything he could do before this mysterious disease came on. So I knew I had to get in touch with David. He had pictures to the puzzle that I did not have. So I phoned every hospital in Colorado Springs and told them, I'm Dr. Like, I need to get in touch with David Martz. You know, anybody, any doctor can get in touch with every other doctor if they want to. Yeah. So I phoned everyone and I met up with David at the Methodist Hospital in Colorado Springs. And we talked for hours. And he said, Dr. Leica, can you come down? I said, when? He said, what about right now? I said, David, I can't. It's Thanksgiving in, in Canada. And my right. wife is having 50 people over. Well, David wasn't going to take that as an excuse. He said, aren't there any planes in Canada? <laughs> uh -huh. so, we do have them. Yeah, we got one or two, I said. I think we might be able to get one. So I tell my wife I'm not going to make it. And first she says, are you going to be gone again? Because I was a cosmetic surgeon. I was traveling all the time, going to conference. And I said, dear, this is important. I think I have the answer to my problem. Then she said, you must go. I'll take care of those 50 people. That's nothing. She said, you have a journey to take. So she packed my suitcase for me. She got everything together for me. I, I got on the internet, got a plane ticket, and I was flying the next day. And I got on a great plane from Edmonton to Denver. It was fantastic. Three hours direct flight. Then I got off in Denver, and I got on this plane from hell going from Denver to Colorado Springs. You a see, late in the day, the air comes off the desert, and it creates eddies. And that plane goes through the worst ride that you'll ever imagine. It's like the wild mouse. It's like the Ferris wheel. It's like the drop of doom over and over and over again. The plane will climb, then it'll drop 100 feet. Then it'll climb and drop 200 feet. Then it'll climb and drop 300 feet. And it does that over and over for 15 minutes. It's 15 minutes long, but gosh, is that a terrible flight. And I crawled off that plane and there was David to meet me on the tarmac. He said, you know, you're not looking so good. I said, David, I'm not feeling so good. Well, you're he a said, little green from this ride. Oh, <laughs> I was greener than I heard it green screen. I was greener than green. It was terrible. But, you know, David, and after he talked to me, said some magic words. He said, I think history is repeating itself. I think I can start you on treatment and you will get magically better. And I was able to maintain my for over 30 as a top cosmetic doctor. Wow. Now you kind of went out just a little bit there. Yeah. So you maintained 30 years as a cosmetic doctor after that treatment, correct? Yes, that's correct. Did that, is it still working? Is it working okay now? 
But you know, when I started doing that, I started giving back. And one of the things I did is I sponsored a competition for the YWCA of Edmonton. And that and Harriet, of all people, applied for the award. Harriet, we were doing an award, and she applied for the Turning Points Award. And she applied because of her story. And she met me. She took me for lunch. And we decided to write this amazing book. So I'm going to turn this over to yes. the second half here. Harriet. So, so Harriet, okay. So let's, first of all, we'll start with your story, what happened to you, and the and why did you apply for that Turning Points Award? And then um, after you two met. Okay, so so start, oh, okay. start with your story first, which is a crazy story, by the way. Oh, yeah. it is. I'll give you the PG version, I guess. <laughs> so uh, no, okay. I want people. Yeah, I want people to understand what you actually went through. So I mean, yeah, whatever you're comfortable with telling, you know. But it, it's um, it's scary and it's harsh, and you know, and, and mm -hmm. it happened. And I'm sorry that that happened to you. But go ahead. Yeah, you bet. So my my story, I like to start it off when I just uh, finished, my, when I just retired from the modeling industry. And it's still surreal for me to believe that I'm a domestic violence survivor because here I was an international model walking the runways full of confidence, yet I was a victim of a stalker. And as as I retired from the modeling industry, I decided to get a formal education and I enrolled at the university. And it was at the university where I befriended a fellow student whom I had absolutely no idea that his attraction to me was like a psychological trap disguised mm -hmm. as love that later on would turn out to be deadly. And I was your typical domestic violence victim. I was young, I was naive, and I didn't really know the signs of an abusive relationship but yet I was vulnerable enough to trust him. Now, as I got to know him, he was kind, he was loving, and he really made me think that I was a dominant person in the relationship. But after a while, I started seeing signs of an abusive relationship. He was yelling, screaming, he would hit me, but later on, he would apologize. So I thought it was okay because he said he was sorry. So it went on and on and on, and after a while, I became very afraid for my life. So I went to the university campus and I told them about what was happening, but they said there's absolutely nothing they can do because nothing has happened. So the only thing they could do is offer me a restraining order, which would be something that would prevent him from coming near me. So I said, if that's all, yes, yes, I went with that. I said, yes, okay, restraining order is good news for me. So I took the restraining order and he was never to come near me. So one evening I was busy studying for my project, getting ready for, for school for the following day. And I looked at the time and it was quite late. So I said, oh, I better go home and get some rest. So I packed my bag and started walking because the university was only five minutes away from, from the university, my apartment was. So I went, started walking and I got into the elevator, but I wasn't really paying attention to my surrounding. I was just busy looking inside my handbag, trying to make sure my keys are ready as soon as I get out of the elevator. So it was in the elevator as I, as I got in, 
somebody, I felt somebody strangle me by the neck and squished me really, really tight. And at that point, I started to scream. And I had the voice, it was a very familiar voice, and it was him, my stalker. So he told me, how dare you get that restraining order against me? Don't you know that I'm the only man that will ever love you? And I, at that point, I started screaming even louder. So he got very nervous and upset. So he took his shoes off, took his socks, and then he started rolling them in a ball and stuffed it right into my mouth to silence me. And then he grabbed me out of the elevator and grabbed me by the hair and pushed me into his vehicle. And then we started driving and he was yelling and screaming and saying, how dare you do this? Um, he went on and on, it was very abusive. And then as he's yelling and screaming, suddenly we saw a telephone booth and neither one of us had a, a cell phone at the time. So he looked at the what, telephone booth. Can, can I just ask what year did this happen in? What? It was about, I would say, um, horrible, um, probably around um, maybe 22 years ago or so. So there's still phone boots around at the time, <laughs> but, uh, and, and I, I had a phone, but I never really used it. It was, it wasn't as, as here, here nowadays, the cell phone is like a second hand. <laughs> we have to have it. So at the time I, neither one of us had a telephone. So we came out. Of, uh, so he actually, he told me to get out of the vehicle and go call my parents and say goodbye to them because this would be the very, very last time that they would ever hear from me. And I said, and I said to him, sorry, I'm just gonna try and move my, here we go. Okay, so I said to him, okay, um, I, he, said, he told me get out of the car and go call your parents and say goodbye to them, To go say goodbye to them because this would be the very, very last time that they would ever hear from you. And I said, no. So when I said that, he was quite upset. How dare I say no to him? So he said again, Harriet, you need to get out of the car, go call your parents and say goodbye to them. Because in the back of my car, I have gasoline, I have a rope and a knife. I am going to take your body and wrap it with a rope cut your body in pieces and put gasoline all over you. Now, are you gonna call your parents? And once again, I looked at him and I said, no. So that second no was very upsetting. So what he did, he got very angry, he reached over the glove compartment and he took a knife as high as he could and he stabbed me on my left, on my left leg two times on my thighs. And there was blood gushing everywhere. And even today, I have absolutely no idea how I got from that moment to the hospital. So when I woke up, there I was. My father was in the room, the doctor was there, and there was media and police outside in the waiting room. So the doctor told my father that the stabbing wound was so deep, it had chipped my bone, and I might never walk again. And if I do walk, it might take a long time. So when I had the news, I was in shock. Here I was an international model walking the runway full of confidence. Now I was a cripple and depressed. And the only thing that separated the two, my confidence and my depression was my trauma. So I started feeling sorry for myself saying, why me? How could this happen to me? I'm a wonderful person. And it did me no good to start feeling sorry for myself. So I knew I had to start healing. So the doctor told me to start getting physiotherapy. And it was one day in the, in the 
waiting room, waiting to get my physiotherapy, a little girl wheeled in. She was so full of energy, so full of joy. And I was having that moment where you don't really want to talk to somebody. You just want to be left alone. But yeah. there she was full of so much joy. And she started talking to me and tried to ignore her, but she wouldn't leave me alone. Very tenacious girl. So anyway, I told her the reason why I was there and what had happened in a version that a nine-year-old could understand. So when she listened to me, she, she looked at me with a big eyes and said, wow, you need to share your story with the world because it's so inspirational. And I thought to myself, what does a nine-year-old know? What is she talking about? So when I talked to her, this is something they always did at home. They always shared stories and they said, let's share our stories with everybody. So to her, this was another story that I could share with the world. So I asked her what, what, what she was doing in the hospital in a wheelchair. So she had been in the hospital because her parents had been, and her as well, they were in a car accident. She was going to a, a ballet dance competition. And on their way there, there was a drunk driver head-on collision, hit the vehicle, and her parents both passed away. So now she was motherless, fatherless, and homeless. Oh my God. Yet she had so much gratitude. So I started thinking, wow, that is so... I was thinking my story is nothing compared to hers. But life is not really about comparing stories. It's about what you do with what happens. So I started thinking about what had happened to me and life is about connecting the dots. So it took me years before I went back to my past to remember what she had said. So I opened up my own business called Empowered Me, which is about empowering young people to be the truest version of themselves. And it was because of the program Empowered Me that I was nominated for an, an award that Dr. Laika was sponsoring at the YWCA Women of Distinction and I was under the category uh, turning point. So there's about 15 women or so under the category, but I was lucky to be the recipient of that award. And that's when I met Dr. Laika. After the event, we had a conversation. I bought him lunch, like you said. And then we said, perhaps one day we should, we should write a book. And it was about approximately six years ago that we started this, com this dialogue. And then here we are, we wrote the book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. The, yeah. the 13 golden pearls that we discovered. Yeah, and yeah. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, we're getting a yeah. back there. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's going on with that. Is my mic better? Your mic is great. Oh, that okay. Maybe my mic. I uh, I have no idea. But I need to, I, I just pushed it back some, but you know, we'll see. We'll see what yeah. goes on. But that is a, 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 just an unreal story. And, you know, many, many women have these types of stories. I have one. Mama, you probably have one. Um, I, I gave a, a man a ride, supposedly, to his truck. You know, and I was like, a, what, 18, 19, stupid child. That's what I always say, oh, stupid child. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and I'm like, oh, sure, I'll give you a ride to your truck. But it's like in the back of my mind, I kind of knew something was happening. Yeah. Pocketbook, and I had it on this side. You know, I'm like, sometimes I got to jump oh. out. Like something told me, you know, that mm. I'm going to have to flee my car. And and it was really crazy because then we're driving and all of a sudden there's no truck. We're driving into a, you know, remote area, kind of, you know, with little houses and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? Mm -hmm. I said to him, you know, because I'm trying to relate. I don't know if you were trying to relate while this was yes. going on, right? 
mm-hmm. trying to relate, get into his mentality and his mindset. And I'm like, you know, I really got to pee. I'm going to go outside. I just, I'll be right back, you know. And then he's like, oh, okay, you know, because we were talking before that. And I'm trying to calm him down because I knew what was happening. You know, I, I, I just knew it. So I finally get to a place where I see a house down a hill. Okay, so I stop the car, I throw it in park, and I grab my keys in my pocketbook. I'm like, because I don't want you to steal my car. And yeah. shut the door, and then I walked around the back of the car, got to the to the to the edge of that hill, and then I ran. And when I ran, that's when I'm starting mm. to panic, you know. And I'm banging on the outside of the house as I'm going down behind the the you know back of the house, going around, and I'm like yelling to someone and then they finally you know i get around to the front they let me in and i had a meltdown i couldn't even hardly talk man stayed in my car they called the cops the cops were there in no time um this this officer henry i don't know his last name but henry i'll never forget his face oh what a beautiful beautiful man he was right he was so calming to me you know Mm -hmm. and so they got him and they brought him in you know and he has psychological issues. So what happened to him is he went to a, a psych place, you know, and they, they kind of locked him up there. Not for long, you know, but mm-hmm. we went through all the court cases and everything and put him in there. Now, I'm, I'm like, are these, this is traumatic, deeply mm-hmm. traumatic things that women go through. So I'm like a lucky one. I escaped. You, yeah. You're a lucky one. You escaped with your life. Yes. Yeah. However, what did that man get? Well, it goes yeah. approximately two years, sorry, two months. Yeah, that is so, unbelievable. Yeah, because he said it was something wrong with his brain or something. It was all psychological. Yep. It's always that. Yep, that's what they said about this guy. They put him in a psych ward for, a, you know, like a, a few months. I think, well, actually, I think he got about five months back, you know, way back then. But what is that? That's a slap on the wrist. It is, yes. Yeah, but you got to remember that was a while ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, now things hopefully are a bit much different, you know. So mm-hmm. make sure that uh, as much as, as, as horrific as these two stories are, make sure if anything happens to a, to a woman or a man, something like this happens, please report it. You know, whether it's two months or buried under the jail, which is what I think these guys should get personally, um, it has to be reported. Hmm. Yeah, that's oh, important. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It really is. It is. What's really important is this: is this is sharing your story because a lot of people yeah. won't report it. They, they'll keep it in. They'll be like, "Oh, I asked for it. Oh, I did this. Oh, I did that. Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, no one asked for that. You no, know, exactly. You know? Yeah. No, and you were being nice. You know what I mean? You thought, mm-hmm. you know, he was a nice guy. She was yes, in she love. Was a woman. Yeah, and, well, he was. He was yeah. <laughs> But I mean, you know, it's it's crazy. Okay, so so that being said, now you two get not together. that you're not cute, Alan, but you know, just, <laughs> you're always gorgeous. You're okay. Oh, thank you, ladies. Yeah, <laughs> he's always surrounded by women. He's got a bunch yeah. of women in his family, and now he's, you know he's always surrounded by women. He's got a rough yeah. life. <laughs> I got a rough life, as I said. Yeah. I got up the lake with five beautiful grandchildren, all girls today, and it's just yeah. a rough life. Yeah. <laughs> Feel bad for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now you guys are. Right, so that was six years ago when you guys decided to write the book, but you actually got it done during COVID. Well, well, let me tell you about writing a book, girls. If you haven't done it already, <laughs> there's sorry. no such thing as good writing. There's only good rewriting. And so 
Our book went through 20 renditions till it got to the phase that we were reasonably happy with it. You know, and, you know, writing a book is easy. It's rewriting it and rewriting it and rewriting it <laughs> to the point that everybody can understand it, make it so good that, that everybody wants it. So when we started writing this book, we met with Jack Canfield. Do you know Jack Canfield and Chicken oh, yeah. Soup of Soul fame? Because he helped us to do this. And he said, you know, Harriet and, and Dr. Leica, your stories are really what's going to make this book what it is. So in every golden pearl, we put an amazing story to highlight the story and really make it into what it is. So each story begins with a story, but not just a story. It's almost a parable. It's a story. And we went through maybe a hundred stories for each chapter before we could find one that both Harriet and I like. I'd find one and she said, no. And she'd find one and I'd say, no, no, no. no. And, and we went through this for every chapter. So there's 13 chapters. That's like 1,300 stories we went through to make her perfect. And first of all, we came up with 20 pearls, okay? And yeah. our reader said, please, can you truncate this? Can you make it a little bit smaller? Because it was like drinking through a fire hydrant. There was so much wisdom, so much knowledge there. So yeah. our our readers really said, no, get, get 12 or 13 pearls. And we put 13 in. And we even put a bonus pearl in on fear yep. because everybody's going through fear right now. Yes. Everybody's going through a time mm -hmm. where they're just incapacitated with fear. And so we wanted to help people overcome that. And that's why we did that. Right. Now, I was reading it and I was, I was reading it online too. And I'm going, oh, all right. So this is the end already? You know, and then there was the bonus <laughs> chapter. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. And then it just kind of kept going and going. It's still more. And I'm going, is this going to end? Well, you know, this book is written at many levels. And so when you read it once, it's a very superficial level. But when you read it again, it's a deeper level. And when you read it again, it's a deeper level. So the yeah. multiple levels in this really resonate with different people. So this is based on the dialogue that Harriet had with me when I was writing it. So we wanted to be at like you girls eavesdropping on our conversation as we were writing this book. And so that's what it is. It's the story of two intimate friends that, and everybody that's reading it, it's a voyage of, dis of discovery. Yep. You get the opportunity yeah. to discover our conversation. You get to discover <laughs> our personalities. Yeah. You get to discover the little video. <laughs> and then we sprinkled it with 145 quotes of yep. the world's authorities and what they'd say on each of those topics. And and each one of those came with a lot of thought and a lot of, of meaning with it. Uh, so we wanted to make sure the quotes were in there because that takes another level of meaning in as well. And, and I think the quotes are, are really some of the gems of this as well. Uh, well. You have a lot of thank yous. But yeah, you have a lot, a lot of quotes and how you put them on the end of the book too. So, you know, you can kind of go over them then it, and it keeps things fresh in your mind. So, you know, where it was in the book or what it relates to, or even if it wasn't in there, what it relates to, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So it was really good. But I also yeah. love how you guys were bickering back and forth about who's going to get the last word. <laughs> sometimes he wins, sometimes I do. Right. right. Yeah. Oh my God. It's, it's so much fun. It's so much yeah. fun.
Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, Mama, do you have a question for one of these? I do. Again? If if my if my computer will behave itself and open up the questions. <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay. First off, and, and I don't. We have questions, and I got them. But the first question that always comes to my mind is what I'm going to have to ask. And if it's in the list of questions, from that, sorry, why mm-hmm. pearls? Oh. <laughs> well, that's a good one, Harriet. Tell them how we came up with pearls because I wanted to use nuggets and you you turned that yeah. down. Oh, yes. Dr. Leica really wanted it to be golden nuggets. And I said, well, that sounds almost like a meal, like food. McDonald's. <laughs> it just, it just, <laughs> exactly. That's immediately what I thought. So, and I've often loved, ever since I was a little girl, I always loved golden pearls. And I always saw my mom with the golden pearls. And I, th- I thought to myself, as a little girl, that's ideal. So when you started talking about golden pearls, Dr. Leica actually told me the, how the golden pearls are formed. And when he explained mm-hmm. to me how they, they're formed, then I said, this is exactly what we should name the book, the golden pearls. Now, Dr. Leica has a better way of explaining how, how they're formed. <laughs> he says it's so distinctly. So you go ahead and share that. Thank you, Harriet. I'll try and say it again. You know, pearls are formed because of trauma. A little grain of sand get inside of an oyster shell and that oyster walls it off with that beautiful material called luster that makes a pearl. Now, golden pearls actually exist in nature. They're only found, however, in the southern Philippines and Indonesian areas. They're only found in a very rare part of the world. So a single, solitary, beautiful golden pearl costs about $10,000. So, But the important thing is these are the result of trauma. They're the result of hardship. You know, diamonds are made because of trauma, too. They're made because of heat and pressure. Steel is made stronger because of the forces it goes through. That's what tempering steel is caused. So our events that we went through made us have golden pearls. It made us see the golden pearls that were all around us. It made us stronger. It made us better. It made us to the point that we could share those. And, you know, everybody has golden pearls inside themselves. They just have to look inside themselves and discover them. Right. We always say that. Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that is um that is great. I mean that's a it's a beautiful thing. And um and again, let me put this up here and then get into my brand. Um here we are. Okay, so this is the book, okay? The secrets to living a fantastic life. Okay. Two survivors real reveal 13 golden pearls that they've discovered. So that and where is the book available? Just because I just put it up there? Well, there's three places, and I'll just go into that. First of all, we'd like you to buy it that from the site fantasticlifebook.com because if you do, we know where your dollars are coming from. And therefore, we have decided to give 20% of our book's profits to a women's charities that sponsor shelters to help uh, victims of domestic violence. So if we get uh, somebody buying the book from Baltimore, we want to give the money back to Baltimore. If somebody buys it from Montreal, we'd like to give that money back to Montreal. If somebody buys it from, from Edmonton, we'd like to give it back to Edmonton because we'd like to see the end of domestic violence in the world. And you know, 20% of the profits of a book is a pretty huge amount because a, do- a person writing a book does not make a lot. 
a lot of the money's gone to everybody else. So we're giving up a substantial part of this book to try and help the world as well. Now, if you'd sooner, you can go to amazon.com or amazon.ca and pick up a book that's all available there. And there's a Kindle division uh, available for just $1. So everybody, everybody can get this book at a very, very cheap price. Right. Now, give an example of, of what one of the pearls are so that people can understand what it is that we're actually, you know, getting into, what the pearls are. Harriet, share one of your golden pearls, one of your favorites, please. Oh, oh my we goodness. Have, we have the same. We have the same favorite. <laughs> I think uh, they're all my favorite, but I'll, I'll talk about the golden pearls, purpose. And, um, and yeah, purpose is one of my favorite. And uh, Dolly Parton really uh, says it very well. She says, and I'm going to try and uh, paraphrase her. She says, everybody has a purpose. And I believe that to be true. So in the book, and what we use is, uh, it's we call it the ikigai, which is a reason, a Japanese word for reason for being. So in that, especially with COVID going on, most of us are questioning what is my purpose. So we ask in the book, you have to ask yourself four very important questions. So number one, what is it that you love to do? It can be maybe you love soccer. That would mean you want a career that's more focused on the team effort and competitiveness. Or maybe you love the art gallery. So that means maybe you'd like a career in creativity, that sort of thing. So you write down, the question is, what is it that you love to, to do? So that's number one. Number two, what is it that you're good at? It can be, sometimes it's difficult to know what you're good at. You might be better to ask your friends because you may have done something to help them. Maybe you're a good listener, you could be a psychologist, or maybe you're good with numbers like I am. You could be an accountant, that sort of thing. Oh, so that's uh, question number two. What is it that you're good at? Number three is what does the community or the world need right now that you can fill in the gap? So that's number three. And then number four, what is it that you can do and get compensated for it? Because it is important to get compensated for what you love to do. So those are the four questions in the golden pearl called purpose. What is it that you love to do? What are you good at? What does the community need or the world need? And what can you do and get paid for? So once you find those four questions, you answer them, then you found your ikigai. But sometimes it's difficult to do all of them. So I normally recommend you do a part-time ikigai, which is uh, you can set off with the two questions. What is it that you love to do? And what is it that you're good at? And this is more difficult for adults. If you ask children, they'll tell you right away what they love to do. They'll come up with 20 million things that they, they love to do. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. as, as adults, we find it more difficult. So the, the purpose is for you. And the, I mean, the purpose is for others. That passion is for you. So that's how you kind of find your purpose. That's, that is, that, yeah. that is, that's, that's my favorite of the chapters as well. Oh, is it? Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, like, that's great. Um, because there are, you know, I, I, I listed them down over here, and I'll kind of re refer back and forth as we, mm -hmm. as we get in here. You but, bet. Let me get my list here. <laughs> yeah. There. Yeah. Um, the other one that I was like, uh, tenacity. I love the, the tenacity. Tenacity. Really yes. Really good because, I mean, you, you have to have that. Dr. Allen, what is your views on tenacity? You know, I, I think and tenacity are sisters, and the two are intertwined. I think they're 
their their key sisters, persistence and tenacity. Tenacity is that indomitable trait where you keep going no matter if you get hit in the face or get knocked down. It's what drags you through the the real bad parts of your life. You know, it's persistence to the power of a million or of infinity. It really is what drives people to do the things they were. You know, Thomas Alva Edison, when he was inventing the light bulb, would fail over and over and over again. Except everything that he did, every mistake that he made, he said, this is not a failure. It's another thing I found that will not work. Okay? So it didn't really hurt him to do that. He really realized that these were experiments he was making. And each one was a little experiment, and he found a lot of things that weren't quite right until he found the light bulb. And then from the light bulb, of course, we got fluorescent lights, and we got diodes, and we got <laughs> all these other lights that have come out as a result of her persistence. But, you know, that's what a person has to do. It's like when my youngest daughter was tying her shoelaces, she was trying over and over and over again, and every time she'd fail she'd fail. So I said, let's take a break. We went to the store and we bought a clown and on the clown was tieable shoelaces. So she did that over and over and over again. She said, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And finally, when she did it, she said, I did it. It seemed like it took forever. She must have tried thousands of times, but it was mm -hmm. one of the most persistent. That's what tenacity is. That's the trait that people need to do things. And Harriet and I, when we were writing our book, we found tenacity because I had just gotten back from a lecture at Harvard and I was going to my office. I put my, my uh, briefcase in my car, I thought. But then my wife called me inside and I had to answer a phone call. And then I came back and I drove over my briefcase with the, with the computer in it, destroying the hard drive as we were putting it together. So then I called Harriet, I said, Harriet, or I wrote her and she said, uh, what would you like? I said, do you have chapter one in your folder? And she said, yes, of course. I said, do you have chapter two in your folder? <laughs> and after I went through this for about 10 of the chapters, she, she said, said, would you do this Is there something wrong? I said, of course not. Of course not. I'm just testing you. <laughs> but, but can you send them to me just in case? I had destroyed the entire computer of the hard drive, so I had to recreate it. It's a good thing that we live in the day of the cloud. You know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the gosh, yes. it's a good thing that you have a co-author that keeps everything meticulously like I'd expect. Uh -huh. Guess, guess what? Guess what? The ladies yeah. saved your bacon. Mm -hmm. the, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, ladies have saved my bacon more than yeah. I'll ever imagine. Okay, <laughs> but the good thing is that we were able to. You know, we wrote a good manuscript before I ran mm -hmm. it over. But after that, we wrote, wrote a great manuscript afterwards. <laughs> yes. Okay. See, there's a, exactly, there's a reason for everything. You had to, you didn't have to run over the computer to do this, but you had to lose what you had so you could do it again and do it better. Mm -hmm. Appreciate it. Exactly. Right, right. Mm -hmm. right, right. And <laughs> I <laughs> 
Now, I have one of your pearls. I have to admit, I didn't get to read the whole book, but I did get to smoosh over it because one of those weeks again, and since yeah. I only had a couple of days. Uh, my favorite, and, and I'll tell you why. I don't know if you've realized, whoops, over there. See what's above me? Okay. Vulnerability. The butterfly struggles. Number four. Vulnerability. <laughs> That is a pretty special one. That is a pretty, pretty special one. And maybe, just give me a minute, and I'll see if I can draw <laughs> up that story. I'll read it yeah, the, butter, the butterfly story? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I think it. that's a very special one. That's a beautiful one, yes. Okay. Well, would you mind if I read to you a little bit? Please, go ahead. A man found a cocoon of a butterfly. One day, a small opening appeared. The man watched the butterfly for several hours as it struggled to force its body through the tiny little hole. Suddenly, the butterfly stopped making any progress and looked like it was stuck. So the man decided to help the butterfly. He used a pair of scissors to snip off the remaining bit of the cocoon. The butterfly then easily emerged, although it had a swollen body and small shriveled legs. The man didn't think anything of it and waited for the wings to enlarge to support the butterfly, but that didn't happen. The butterfly spent the rest of its life unable to fly, crawling around with tiny wings and a swollen body. Despite his kind heart, the man didn't understand that the, restri that the restricting the cocoon and the struggle to get its side through the small opening were God's way of forcing through fluid from the body of the butterfly's body into its wings so it could once again learn to fly. The moral of the story, vulnerability allows us to struggle. Struggles build our strengths if we allow them and work through them. Exactly, exactly. You know, people always say that, well, you know, especially if you bring up God, say well if god was there he wouldn't allow this to happen and he wouldn't allow that to happen well you know what i mean these things happen for a reason and they'll only happen to you if you can handle them but yes we all need struggles we all need good and bad we won't understand what good is without bad we don't understand what you know happy is without sad we don't know you know greatness from failure if the two opposites don't exist so we need that and the struggles do make us stronger. Yeah. You yeah. Know, and we grow and we learn not to do that again or to do that again. You know? Mm -hmm. So and and then uh and then share and share your story. And that's how the world yeah. goes around is by sharing stories. You know, that's how we learn. You let you go to listen to lectures. What are they doing? They're sharing stories. <laughs> what yeah. are they doing? They're sharing stories. Yeah. And, that, and that's how we learn and that's how we grow and that's how the world will heal i like that yeah that's so true, true. You got it, it gina <laughs> yeah because vulnerability is uh i guess it's the mother of everything it's fear it's blame it's guilt it's everything so it's kind of like the mother of everything and i like the story that dr Leica shared because it just really puts it in perspective struggles are a good thing because when things are going really well you don't really appreciate what you have it's yeah. when you lose it, then you're like, oh my, this is a good thing that now you begin to appreciate what you have. 
So it's, yeah. it also packages up, up all the vulnerability that we're going through. Right. When you go home yourself and it's like, you know, I worked for everything my entire life. You know, nothing was ever given to me, you know. Oh, I, I struggled, 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 you know. I tried the modeling thing, you know, a million years ago when I was like, you know, that big. And yeah. uh, you know, that was a crazy <laughs> life. I knew that wasn't for me. I've gone yeah. to schools, you know. And oh, wow. Works and what doesn't. I went to accounting school. I had a 4.0 average in accounting school, but that nice. was what I wanted to do at the time. I did work in that for a while, but not what I wanted to do all the time. You know, but I, I continue to just keep going and learning and growing and learning and, you know, yeah. I, I like learning. And this is just what I, I like to do. I like to read books and I like learning. Oh, mm -hmm. my cousin's in there. Hi, Lynn. This is my cousin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice! But yeah, um, you know, and then you find what you love to do. But you know, mm -hmm. never stop learning, never stop growing, and that's yes. what I think is a key. And mm -hmm. I think you're a great role model for a lot of young women, just for the stuff that you've gone through. So mm -hmm. I think that modeling world is oh, yeah. in itself. You know, you want that's to that. <laughs> yes, model. What it was like to be a model, well, the things that you had to go through, and like the, the, yes. the body image and the everything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, there's a lot going on in the modeling industry. A lot of it, it would have to have another show on modeling, but there's so <laughs> much, so much that went on in the modeling industry. You were never, ever good enough. You look at your pictures, you think they're beautiful. Next time you see them, they've been photoshopped. So you begin to question, obviously they didn't like my face, they photoshopped you. Or you you were five foot nine, you look at the picture, all of a sudden you're six feet tall. So yeah. you're never good enough, but you are not, you are just selling the product. It doesn't matter what you're going through, what you're feeling, you're nothing, you're just selling. You're there to sell. We don't care about how you feel. So that's the industry. I mean, there's some pros and cons against it as well. So you get to travel, you get to meet a lot of people, you get very culture, well-rounded and all that. So you could have, you could weigh it off, <laughs> up and down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I didn't get that far. I just did little teeny things, you know, like little mall shows. <laughs> okay, yeah, those are fun. <laughs> they, yeah, it was fun because you get to go into the store and, and you had like, you know, you can pick your outfit, you know? Yeah. And your music and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So it oh, was, those it are was fun. fun, it was exciting, you know, Yeah. different. But um, mm -hmm. my kids were little, little then, you know, they came out to watch me and I heard them on the sides and I'm like, hey. oh, well, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> the good old days, those are fun uh, times. Yeah. They were fun. They were fun. Mm -hmm. But, but, yeah. I, but, but, you know, it's, it's, we all, I mean, we, we just go through these phases and it's like, you know, that's the thing. What's good about a book like this, okay? Mm -hmm. Remember when, right? Yeah, all right. That was a long time ago. It was like a phase. We, yeah. We're always morphing. We're always changing. Our, our views change. You know, what I thought three years ago is not what I think three, you know, now. Yes. All mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So a book like this, to go mm -hmm. back to and reread is beneficial. Because it is. Read it and you'll say, oh, I can relate to that now. Mm-hmm. And then three years from now, you can go back and say, oh, yeah, I see this <laughs> right now. And you yeah. relate to another chapter in a different way. You know, so it's mm -hmm. that's what I like about books like this is like you can continually learn. Yes. It can morph with you. The same words can morph with you. And mm -hmm. I love that. I like that. I like that wisdom. And I know that you guys have more. And I know that you're going to be coming out oh, with yeah. another book because you have more. So, <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. so when when is that going to be? 
astonishing. Well, you know, I, I wish I could tell you. I, I just got Harriet. You know, we're doing a rewrite of the pearls that we had put together, and I gave Harriet the the first chapter of that just the other night for her to start mm -hmm. digesting over and start going over <laughs> and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the thoughts you had a couple of months ago, and uh, are not necessarily. Oh, thank you. Yep. <laughs> Today, what's today? Thank you. Uh, Jeff Canfield came out with a new book, which Harriet and I are co-authors, called The Pillars of Success. It was launched today. So if people want more of us, they can get that book. And as just before the show, I understand it had already made the top 100 list already. So, it, oh, nice. so yeah. And and this kind of came out as a surprise. I didn't know the launch was this week. Harriet didn't know it. And it just came out of the blue. And you know, I got a box of books on my doorstep this morning, Harriet. You need to get some of those. Uh, okay. we've, we've got a bunch of books here that, yeah. that it's called The Pillars of Success. It's it's written with Jack Canfield. So there's our second book of the pandemic that's already made the bestseller list. So two wow. books that have become bestsellers during the great pandemic of 2020. Well, this is a great time to be an author, I'm telling you, and get the books out because people at home, you know, mm -hmm. so they have the time to read. Although, it's this, I mean, I read this in the morning, you know, so it's not, <laughs> like, it's not like you need a lot of time to, to read that. I mean, to reread it and to go back over it, like you said, because the first time it's like superficial, it's the superficial read, you know, but when things sink in and it's like, ooh, you know, and then that's why I make my little notes, you know, and and I mark up my books usually, but it was on the computer, so I had to make notes, physical notes. Yeah. <laughs> Read my writing. But yeah, I it just I I love it. I'm glad you got another one out now. You're gonna send yeah. it out too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if I should ask for another book because I still haven't received the first one yet. But as I said. But they're I'm the odd man out now. I know. Right? I know. Well, Mama, I heard you're having some bad problems with your postal service in the United States, and it's oh, not going to be funded. Yeah. So, or maybe it'll take a while. Yeah, but I'm <laughs> Hopefully in Canada. Not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You're in yeah. Canada. You're all in Canada. I'm just I'm the other here. end of Canada. Well, Yours you know, is probably faster. Well, it takes a while to get a pony from Edmonton to Montreal. It just doesn't it just takes a while. Gotta, and then he's got to speak French when he gets over here. So we might be in trouble with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? On, on this note, let me. I'm going to play a quick little commercial break, and then we'll be back, and we'll realize Tom's back in, and we'll talk more about the uh -huh. book. Okay. <laughs> the Fox Den is now proudly sponsored by Vortex Ghost Gear, one of the leading fabricators of paranormal equipment. Bob Christopher is the founder and creator of Vortex Ghost Gear. He has decades of investigating, starting with his team at NEPA and as lead in the popular local TV show, Ghost Detectives, he has experience of how spirits could be seen or heard. Using this knowledge, he has manufactured equipment for specific scenarios of spirit manifestation and communication. He is the only manufacturer of the popular lifelike trigger prop cats and dogs. Using proximity meters wired to lights and sound, these prove to be highly effective communication devices in the field of study. 
the HTL, another Vortex exclusive, allowing specific items to be the highlight or trigger of your investigation. For example, place the item on a metal tray or attach directly to any metal object such as keys or glasses that continue to go missing or moved. Ask the spirit to touch the item. The HTO will light. It has a sound option as well. This device was used in Travel Channel's Ghost Nation with great results. The dome, a static detector, can be the most useful device in your gear bag. This is to back up the theory that the spirits manifest using static electricity. Using several, you can track a spirit, for example, walking down a hallway, setting off each as it passes. The geophone detects vibrations. This is another way to track movement. If a claim is footsteps in the hallway or stairwell, set the sensitivity and place the device in that area. Its band of lights will show a range of vibrations from the slightest tapping, lighting only a few lights, to the loudest thumping, lighting the entire range. The EasyScan Ghost Boxes are very popular due to the ease of use. They are custom decorated to the individual or team using them. Bob programs and uses an Arduino-based computer scanning FM waves to potentially communicate with the spirit realm in real time. Every box is unique and all custom hand-decorated by Gina Bankston. The V-Pod has a special place for those who love the idea of REM pods. Use this sleeker, smaller, easier to transport device. It is a must-have in your gear bag. Take your investigating to the next level with many of Vortex Ghost Gear's unique and custom creations by Bob Christopher. Visit www.vortexghostgear.com to view all the products and get your equipment today. You can also investigate with Bob and Gina with ghostly excursions taking people to some of the most haunted locations in the USA. Visit www.ghostlyexcursions.com and join us on our next adventure. We're back. Oh, awesome. Okay. Um, this has been so far um, very, very inspirational, very um, kind of a, it's, a, it's kind of one of those sketchy on the gut shows. You know, <laughs> really start thinking and wondering. Um, Mama, do you have a question? You yeah. <laughs> yeah um let's let's bring it up a little bit um alan <laughs> tell me about the unique pearl oh laughter oh i love laughter laughter is one of the few things in life that brings your mind and body back together it's one of the greatest gifts that we were ever chosen to have and you know scientists have actually studied laughter there was a, mm. a scientist by the name of Richard Wiseman from England that rated all the jokes in the world, and he found the world's funniest joke. Have you? Would you like to hear the world's funniest yes. joke? I think we might be sorry for this one, but go ahead, yes. Okay. <laughs> there were two hunters. They were out in the woods, way out in the woods, and one dropped out. He looked like he was dead. His buddy didn't know what to do. He said, buddy, buddy, wake up, wake up. His buddy didn't move. So he takes up his cell phone and he phones 911. He shouts at the operator, 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 please help me. My buddy, I think he's dead. The operator said, calm down, sir. 
This happens all the time. Could you please make sure he's dead? So the, the phone drops down. You hear silence. Then you hear the click of a rifle and a loud bang. Oh my God. Goes back to the phone and he tells the operator, yes, he's dead. Now what do I do? It's horrible. Mama, you're laughing. It's horrible. It's horrible. I knew it. I knew at the beginning when you said the world's funniest joke, I knew at the beginning I was going to regret asking, saying, yes, I want to hear it. Now, why do people laugh at that joke? Why do they laugh at that joke? It's terrible. It's, it's literally horrible. awful. Oh, no. It's, it should be but it's good. It's, it's so bad it's good. Well, I think that's part of it. But, you know, Gina and Mama, do you laugh on a person who slips on a banana peel? Yes, yes, I laugh on the things. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, I, I got a quick, quick funny story. I was out fishing with my late husband. Okay, he was, he was fly fishing, and we have a blow up boat. So we're out, and it's in the ocean. We're in the bay side, and you come out, and and my job was turn the motor on before you get to the part where the brakes, where the wave part of the ocean starts coming in, and will pummel our boat basically. So. I'm more interested in watching the hook winging by my head. <laughs> so like, like this all the time. Because he doesn't know what he's doing. And it's, it's a blow-up boat. It's a kill so it's rubber. And there's a, a hook, right? It could hook the boat. We could sink. Right? Oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. All right. So but my job is to turn the motor on. Well, all of a sudden, because I'm watching that, a big huge wave comes over over the thing is crashing all his stuff's getting wet he starts yelling at me i am in hysterics i cannot stop laughing he's like we're gonna die I'm like, we're not gonna die you can see people really like you know literally on the peninsulas around us we could swim to them you know we're not gonna die but i was laughing so hard because he's like crawling over everything to get to me to pull up the motors and get that over there. Like, but, but isn't that what laughter is all about? I mean, when I wrote over my man, our manuscript and our hard drive with my computer, you know what Harriet did? She laughed. laughed. She laughed. She laughed just like she laughed. Again. But isn't that what laughter is all yeah. about? Yeah, it, it is. Going and the thing is, it's sometimes it's an actual them. conscious choice. Oh, yeah. It's laughter that really saves us from everything. And the hardest yep. thing, the best thing we can do is when we can laugh at ourselves. When we do I did something stupid. Just over a year ago, I went to the grocery store with my sister, and I slipped and did the splits. Okay, there was water on the floor, la, la, la. But I hit that floor. I did the splits. I was 57 years old, and I'm going, okay. In my head, I'm going, okay. I'm either going to cry and it's never going to stop or I'm going to laugh. So I was laughing. My sister was like, are you okay? Are, this is my baby sister. And she's like, are you okay? Are you? I look, I'm fine. I will be fine. I swear to God, but if I don't stop, if I stop laughing, the moment mm -hmm. I stop laughing, I know I'm going to feel twice as much pain. So the laughter was, you know, people were kind of looking at me and I'm just, I'm, I still got my mama D smile on and I'm being very nice. There's lots of words floating around in my head that have a lot of, asterisks to it and you know but i laughed mm -hmm. through the whole thing because uh, i knew yeah. that the moment i stopped laughing then mm -hmm. i would feel quite as much pain because it, it did happen once i finally got sat in the car and i was like stop laughing that's when i could feel the pain so while i was in public 
I didn't want everyone to see me crying because I'm like an ugly crier. I just laughed and it's like, okay, fine. But so yeah, I'm going to laugh at myself when I fall. Mm -hmm. it, uh, yeah, I, 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 fall in front of me. I'll laugh at you first. I'll help you up eventually once I stop laughing. Yeah. All right, that's a life lesson. Now let's go on the, on the flip side. Now, Harriet, what is mm -hmm. your like a, a life lesson? What, what's your thoughts on forgiveness and how important is forgiveness in our lives? Oh, if it's uh, it's very important, especially uh, what uh, I guess what me and Dr. Leica went through. I think forgiveness is one of the ones that are at the core of everything when you've gone through trauma. And I know the experts out there often tell you, oh, you should forgive as quickly as you can so that you can start healing. And that's not easy to do, but it's easy to forgive if somebody cuts you off and, you know, or somebody steals your parking spot. Those are easy to forgive. Or if somebody forgets to tape your favorite TV show, your husband or wife, that's easy to forgive. But if uh, <laughs> that's forgivable within reason. But if something as traumatic as uh, what what happened to me is really difficult. So what I had to do is learn how to forgive. And one of the things that, because forgiveness is not a natural, it's, it's not natural. But hate mm -hmm. is natural because we're just born, just, just how human nature is. Hate is a natural emotion. So, and we use hate to protect what we love. For example, you can say, I hate cancer because it's killing my father. So you use hate to do that. And, and when you look at the definition of hate in the Wikipedia, it's actually a deep emotion, a deep, a, a deep emotion against something. Like it's, it's, um, it's, it's, um, basically something we use to remind of ourselves of what we love. So what I did, I had to use hate as a as one of the things to learn how to forgive. So number one, I said, I hate my stalker because he put a scar on my leg. I hate my, my stalker because I love being healthy. So that's number one, Re give the reason why you hate. So that's number one. And then number two, change the second sentence and, and just say, I hate my stalker, but I love being healthy. I hate my stalker, but I love my perfect imperfections. So you're giving the reason why you hate and the and and you the love. So you're using that to offset the other. And then the last thing, forget the hate, get rid of the hate, and just focus on love. I love being healthy. I love my perfect imperfections. So those are the three steps I had to use to remind myself of forgiveness. So number one, give the reason why you hate. Number two, turn the second sentence, I hate and the reason. So change the reason with, with the word love. And then the very last one, just turn it into a love journal. I love being healthy and so on. So usually when I talk about uh, forgiveness, I'm usually reminded by that story. It's not in our book. I, I don't know if you know it, the story of the snake and the saw. Have you ever heard of it? No. No? no. Okay. I can kind of shape quickly. It didn't make the book. So this was the one, the ones that <laughs> didn't make it. So it, it's, a, and it's basically a true story. So what basically happens, a snake is really, is hungry. So he, he goes and goes into the carpenter's workshop and the work, the carpenter is really messy. He leaves his saw everywhere. So he, he leaves his saw on top of the table and the snake just goes by it. And he accidentally got cut by the, by the saw. So the snake gets really upset. He thinks that this saw is attacking him. So what he does, he takes a little bite at the saw because he's mad at the saw thinking they're fighting. So again, he gets cut again. So now the snake is even more angry. So what he does, he wraps himself around this saw 
and eventually he gets cut and completely completely dies. So the the moral of the story is sometimes you get so angry at things that we end up hurting ourselves. So it's the same thing as forgiveness. If you don't forgive, you're basically wrapping yourself around this soul and dying very slowly. So it's kind of oh, Mm-hmm. You need to put that in the next book. Mm-hmm. I think it's your speaker, Alan. It's my speaker. No, I think it's Alan. No, I think it's Alan. My speaker. I don't think yeah. so. <laughs> Let me put my volume a little higher. So basically, is if you don't forgive, and it's a very cliche, but so true. It's like you drinking poison and having, hoping the other person will die from it. So you need really need to forgive and let it go. And you're forgiving for yourself, not for the other person. It's a really tough thing to do. And I found for me, those three steps really helped. Right. And there's no time limit on that. Mm-hmm. Yes. If a snake bites you, it's not the bite that kills you. It's the venom from the snake that bites, that circulates through your body and kills you. And that's important. You know, forgiveness is not always easy. At times, mm-hmm. it feels more painful than the wound we suffered. Yeah. forgive the one that inflicted it. And yet there is no peace without forgiveness. That's a quote from Marianne Williamson. And it's an example of our quotes bring this into a greater perspective. You know, Martin Luther King said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So these are how we use our quotes in our book to help you understand the meaning of what we wrote even at a better level and trying to bring this this book into some perspective for everybody and making it that much more about valuable. Right. Now, we asked Harriet before what her favorite pro was. What's yours? <laughs> you know, I have so many favorite pearls, it's crazy, but I have two in particular. One is gratitude. I think gratitude is one of the most important things that we can take every day. You know, this morning I woke up, I went to my step, and there was Jack Canfield's new book, a hundred of them on my doorstep. I said, wow, this is going to be a great. Then I looked at my schedule and I saw, oh, yes, I remember. I was with the Foxes stand on Monday. We're having a show tonight. So this is going to be a special day. And so then my wife phoned me and said, can you pick up the grandkids and come out to the lake and bring the kids out? I said, sure, no problem. So here we were, a day that really had to, so every day on my list, I tried to write three things down that I'm really grateful for. And I think everybody should make that. Now, the key with making a journal like this is every day it should do three different things because then your day gets that much better and gets that much more special. And the day just becomes that much more a, a privileged day rather than the day it was before. It, it really has to be something that, that everybody has to do. Now, another of my favorite girls is enthusiasm. Enthusiasm carries you through all those times when you're down. If you can bring enthusiasm to the event, to any event, you're likely going to win it. You know, enthusiasm is really one of those things that's that's a magic, magic thing. And I'm going to tell you a little story from our book again about Fred the Carpenter. Can I tell you that story, ladies? Sure. Okay. Well, Fred was a carpenter. He was tired. He was 65. He had worked for the same company for over 35 years. And he said, I can't do this anymore. He just, I, I just don't have the enthusiasm. So he went to his boss 
and threw the keys on his boss and said, I'm done. The boss was totally taken aback. He said, Fred, you're my best carpenter. What am I going to do without you? You've worked every day for me. Every house we've ever built has been built because of you. Well, Fred said, well, you know, what can I do? The boss said, one more thing. Before you leave me, can you build just one more house? Fred said, well, boss, for you, of course, I'll do anything. I, I loved it here. This is the only job I've ever had. It was my best job. I, I've loved working every day. So he did it, but he did it begrudgingly. And he didn't bring his enthusiasm every day. He'd work two hours, whereas in the old day, he'd work 18, he'd work 20, he'd work 24. Mm -hmm. Got the job done, but he did shoddy workmanship. Everything was done with, with just barely getting by. So the miracle happened is that the house passed inspection. So he went to the boss and said, okay, boss, I'm done. Here's the keys to the last house you ever had me built. The boss said, just hold it, Fred. Just hold it. I'm going to gather everybody around in the office here. Everybody. This is Fred's laugh. I'm so sad. I don't know what to do. But it's a happy day for Fred. And I want to make it even happier. Fred, here's the keys to the last house you ever built. Live it and enjoy it with all the enthusiasm you showed me for this job all the days of your life. <laughs> oh, that's now, lady, the reason why I tell you this story is because enthusiasm is not a Monday thing. It's not a Thursday thing. It's not a Wednesday thing. It's not something you can turn off and turn on. You have to bring it every minute of every day. When you're doing the Fox's Den, you have to be enthusiastic about it. When you're preparing for the Fox's Den, you have to be enthusiastic for. Now, I'm going to get Harriet to tell you a little bit about one of the things she's enthusiastic about, and that's running ultra marathons. <laughs> oh, my goodness, oh. yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if you know what ultra marathons, what that is. I, I do because I read the book, but you can explain. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. I so had I no guess, idea. <laughs> in case uh, some of your listeners don't know, so it's anything basically that's over 50 kilometers, so that's defined as uh, ultra marathon, and I absolutely love running ultra marathons, and they usually are up to from 24 hours to 36 hours. So that's basically, and you don't sleep. People always ask me, "What yeah. do, you, do you sleep or what do you eat?" That sort of thing. But no, no, I'm so enthusiastic when I do the ultra marathon, and I do run barefoot. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that I'm always barefoot. I'm barefoot right now. I'm always barefoot. I like being barefoot, but I don't think I could run a marathon barefoot. I mean, you're running on streets and on on. Yes. Oh yeah, it's 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 nothing. Yeah, I'm from Kenya. We run barefoot yeah. <laughs> when we're when we're little, so you get kind of accustomed to that. And uh, the biggest thing when you're running this ultra marathon is what you eat when you're running because that's also a big deal. So I call, I eat what's called TVS. <laughs> so that's a. Do you know what that is? That's a no, secret. No. You probably have it in your fridge right now. <laughs> uh, probably not my fridge. It's yellow. <laughs> not, definitely <laughs> not in her fridge. She got well, we call it TVS in the business, but TVS stands for three things. <laughs> Harry, what does the T stand yeah. for? It's a turmeric. Turmeric. Okay. Oh, I would so, love to have fresh turmeric. So turmeric, then vinegar and salt and. I have pickles. <laughs> now, do, you know, do you know what this magic food is? No. no. It's mustard. Mustard. 
Right. Well, it, well, we said that, but I mean, that's, that's what's all that's in there. So that's what she takes these little packs of mustard and sucks on them, and she's running these death races. Yeah. They are death races, aren't they? That's the yes, lot. they are the death crazy. races. Yeah. That is crazy. Well, you know, yeah. like, how do you? What happens? We got to go to the bathroom. Yeah, we got to pee. Oh, if you need to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Oh, that's why it's it's a math. It's you are running in the trail, so just go, just be one oh, of the bears yeah. or the. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. That's, but still, that's long. Tell me, that's where a diaper. Like, okay. One of these. They're not like televised, are they? Because I've never seen um, them. People take videos, but they do have transition areas. So if you do, like each the way it works, some people run as a team. So they usually, they call them seven legs. So there's like one, you can run with a team, but sometimes I've done solo by myself, and but mostly I usually run with my brother. So usually two of us, I run, I run the 80 kilometers and you run the other 80. Wow. Or one time I did, and I don't always finish. There's been time where I've been a DNF, which did not finish. So I was at about 80 kilometers and I had another 25 kilometers left and I couldn't do it. I had to stop. I was just in too much pain. So that's when you learn lessons. Failure is about learning what you did wrong the, the first time that you did it or the second time. So I just call it as lesson number two when I fail. I don't call it failure. Just what did I learn from it? And that will happen a lot when you're running. You're going to be in pain. You're going to be in a situation. You're going to, but you have to keep your enthusiasm going though. Harriet, can you tell them about the time that one of your colleagues wasn't making it through the race and you oh. literally stopped your claim for fame and yes. winning the race by helping her. Tell her about yes. that story. Oh yeah, it was at the beginning of the race and I was so pumped. I'd got enough sleep. I was ready and I'm running. It was only like five meters at the beginning. And one of the girls, one of the athletes just couldn't, she, she, she just started limping and everybody was passing her by. And I thought, oh, I was, I was hoping that somebody would help her. Cause I didn't really did not want to help her. I wanted to finish this race strong. <laughs> anyway, I started being, I stopped being selfish and I, asked her what was wrong and uh, when you're running there's a lot of uh things going on with her so she didn't have enough salt in her system and i had salt tablets so when you're running you always have to have this so i gave her a few of them and i told her i was gonna run with her we're just gonna do like mini goals i'm gonna run from here to the tree walk run walk run so we did manage to finish and i finished right on time we did not get disqualified so it was such a great moment because we both went through so much like i was i would fall down she'll pick me up but most of the time it was team tagging so I, if i had just left her behind i would have regrets i would wonder what's going on did she make it so sometimes you have to bypass your own ego like detach yourself from the ego and help other people so it was yeah. Very person. Oh, I don't know because it's gotta be it's gotta be it's gotta be yours, Alan. But I'm okay, sorry. For, I, for the people in the chat room, hang on one second. For the people in the chat room who are still with us, which are um, could you let us know how our sound is? Because we have we're having little sound issues. I know <laughs> we froze earlier. And, and I was told we were okay. Pictures are back. But if we're having a few sound issues that we can hear. But I'm wondering if this, if the people in the chat room can hear. So just give us a holler, a thumbs up. Let us know are we still okay? Okay. okay. That's carry good. on. That's <laughs> but you are kind and compassionate woman that comes through. You can just see it on your face. You know when you get those yeah. vibes from people. 
even if you're not in the same room, you get those vibes from people and you know how they are. You know, you two, yep. you two are like a force, you know, <laughs> together too. So mm -hmm. I, I could imagine that that first lunch, you know, <laughs> yes. the two of you. Did that go into dinner and into the night? I mean, it must have been. Alan was you know, we, that's where the concept came of, of, of putting in each chapter that uh, who would get the last word in because, <laughs> because Harriet always tries to get the last word in. You know? She's very competitive that way. I am. Yeah, I have oh, to be. You are too. Yeah. You know? But uh, I think you uh, reading the book. I mean, I think you had to kind of fight for that last word here and there. So I yeah. did. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. we have all those stories to tell. But now mm -hmm. you have some awesome stories too, and that one that you told with the saw, damn, yeah, yeah. that really does need to be in the next. Yeah, because one. I like snakes, yeah. so that really hurt. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the the surprise about this book is each one of these chapters, like the chapter on love, is actually going to become another book on love, and we're Ooh. going to ask for our listeners to send us. Uh, their mini story on love and what it meant to them. So we want three to four article, uh, page articles that make you laugh, that make you cry, that make you have emotion on the topic of love, because that will be the secrets of living a fantastic life, the book on love. And that's down in the works and coming up shortly, where we'll be asking people for stories on that. On tenacity or tenaciousness, I want a hundred stories on tenacity so we can make a book on tenacity. I, I want a book on empowerment. Now, this is Harriet's forte is the empowerment because she talks yes. about this all the time and i'll get her to talk about this but we want a hundred stories on being empowered and being an empowerment so each one of these chapters each one of these golden pearls is going to have its own book in the next few years so not only are we going to have a book two with more pearls then we're throwing it open to our audience so that they can help us take the meaning and and of this book even more. So Harriet, the floor is open to you on empowerment. <laughs> oh my, I love empowerment. <laughs> I could go right. on forever. So with with empowerment, I guess it's a process. I, I kind of think of it as a the Maslow pyramid. So with with uh, empowerment, the very first thing you want to do is do the self-awareness. Like you want to know where your strengths and weaknesses are. So that's number one step. So once you get to that, then you have self-acceptance because you got to accept yourself or all your perfect imperfection because that's so important. Then you start to love yourself. However, sometimes even though you love yourself, you question your self-worth. So when it comes to self-worth, what I normally do, I'll bring out a $20 bill and I'll ask everybody who is in the workshop or whoever we are presenting, who wants this $20 bill? And most often everybody wants it. And then I'll take the $20 bill, I'll crumble it, I'll step on it. Sometimes I'll dump some water on it. And then I'll ask, hey, who wants this $20 bill? And most often everybody still wants it. And I ask them why. They say, well, it did not lose its self-worth. And I say, you've just proved something. It's the same thing for you. You're going to go through so much in life. You're going to get crumbled in. You're going to get water on you. You're going to get stepped on. You do not lose your self-worth. You already have the self-worthiness. So it doesn't matter what you're going through. You're still 
beautiful, you're strong, you're ambitious, all those don't change. Circumstances that happen around you, those are things, but your worthiness is still there. And then after that, we'll tackle the self-esteem piece. I'll take about all the different components that lead to self-esteem, which is the sense of belonging, appreciation, and as well as a, a accomplishment. So we talk about all those. And then once we get into that, gratitude kicks in, and then you are empowered. And empowerment really is uh, emotional intelligence. And there's so much packaged up with empowerment. But I just think of empowerment as you walk into a room there's no light in there. And when, you, when you're empowered is when you turn on the light and you feel like explosion of knowledge, explosion of so much love. It's about abundance of loving yourself and feeling that you're enough. I could go on. I, know, <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect analogy. Mm -hmm. um, it's totally you. That's, you know, empowerment. Mm -hmm. Empower me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's your, that's your site. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, this, all this stuff mm -hmm. is doable for everyone. However, mm -hmm. it's work, you know, it's not something that comes easy. Yeah. You know, it's something that we have to strive for, you know, mm -hmm. and it might be easier for some than others, you know, but writing is always good. You know how you were saying yes. you're doing your writing with that purpose. Um, mm -hmm. Pearl, you know, and, and do yes. the writing right. things for your self-worth and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Baby steps, you know. Exactly, yeah. yes. You know, it's go, it's go like forward. it's like Alan said with a gratitude journal. You have mm -hmm. like some people think some people can write a lot. I'm not a I'm not a writer, don't get me wrong. I love I love reading, but I can't write for meh. That's why I do radio. Hello. But <laughs> read gratitude a day. And it doesn't take much, you know, even yeah. if it's just one page, three things, there you go, and something different. So, again, it's 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 something that you have to put thought into, and, but in, on, in other words, but also you're not really thinking about what you're writing because it's something that you're gra grateful for. But you have to put thought into, say, okay, I'm grateful that I got up this morning and I didn't <laughs> feel like I was 100 years old. <laughs> I feel that every yeah. morning, so I'm grateful for that. So that's not what I'm going to put on every page. But you actually have to think about what you're doing, what you're writing. Mm -hmm. I, have a, I have an adorable friend who her daughter is, I believe, just turning four or just turned four. What she has, a lot of people, a lot of people for their birthdays, they ask for donations to a charity that they, they work for. What she mm -hmm. asks in honor of her daughter, and she's done this every year since she was born, is... Um, Oh God! Paying it forward, doing something. Okay. For, random you know, acts of kindness. Mm -hmm. Thank yeah. you. Random acts of kindness in her daughter's mm -hmm. name, and all they had to do was write it on this this poster where she had. And what she does is every year she writes all of the random acts of kindness that were done in her daughter's name. She wrote them in a book. So when she reaches a certain age, oh wow! This, this is what people did in your name. And it can oh be as simple as, and that's something that people don't think of. You know, it's like, I do them every day without thinking of them. But somebody goes, you know, that was really nice. It's like, yeah, but it's just what I do. You know, so it's something yeah. people, people have to think about what they're doing and not yeah. realize what they're doing. Yeah. Wow. That's the mama in Mama D. But that's a yeah. story. And, and I, I love, love that. that because coming from four years old. Oh, and I wanted to mention, since you said children too, that child that was in your life, mm 
at that time. That was a guardian angel sent for you. She was Amber, yes. Yes, I often, and I've never found her. I guess what was when, uh, yeah, it was Amber. I think what happened, she got uh, adopted and because of FOIB, they can't really share who she is. So yeah. somebody must have adopted her. I, I'm hoping one day I'll run into her. Right, I know. Yeah. You said it happened about yeah. 20 years ago, so she's a girl. More than 20, I'd say uh, maybe closer to like 28 or 20, around there. Mm -hmm. So many years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That, that so so well, if somebody's out there listening to this and they yeah. know this story, yeah. get a hold Hook of Harry. Hook me up. <laughs> That's right, yeah. yeah that would be, be awesome. One day, you never know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um. Yeah. I, I just want to sort of take it into a little bit of an other direction here. Um, okay. <laughs> Alan, <laughs> you uh, just did a TED Talks. Tell us about that. Oh, oh yes. my goodness. You know, TED Talks are some of the most dramatic experiences that you need to get to. So uh, one of the things I am as a professional speaker and I'm a keynote speaker, I wanted to really get my skills up to a level that I wanted to be able to master this. And I said, well, how do you do that? I said, well, the easiest way is to do a TED Talk. So I applied for a number of TED Talks and I was chosen for a TED Talk in Grand Prairie, Alberta. Grand Prairie is a little community in Northern Alberta. It's in the oil industry and it's a very, it was a very booming little town about a year and a half, two years ago. And I decided to give a TED Talk and I was chosen for a TED Talk there. And, and I talked about beauty being a stereotype. Being a cosmetic doctor, I thought that would be great to, to talk on something. And I talked about really that beauty is something that's become a stereotype in our life and, and something like that. But the whole experience of a TED Talk is one of the most dramatic experiences that you could ever imagine. There were maybe 12 of us that were chosen to give a talk. We gave it all on a Sunday evening. It was in this big auditorium. There were hundreds of eyeballs on me. And when you do a TED Talk, you are on a little red dot. And you have to give your view of the world from that. And I was chosen to be the lead dog that night, the lead speaker. And they had a whole new set of audiovisual equipment that they had never tried before. They were not shooting the, the thing in the usual video format. They were shooting it in a brand new uh, super duper format that would take the next years down the pipe. Now I got up there and the first thing you're looking at is the light bulbs all in front of your face. And you have a screen where you have some of your slides on. Okay. So that you can keep on track because speaking under all this stress, <laughs> you do not uh, have anything to fall back on. So I get up there and I said, could you turn on my slides, please? <laughs> and my slides were showing above my head, but they were not showing on the screen in front of me. So for the first five minutes of my talk, I had to come out totally off the tip of the tongue and off my memory. Now, if you've ever seen fear transfixed, I mean, there were like, a thousand eyeballs sitting on me in this auditorium. This was one time I could not fail. I, I, I could not fail. 
I knew I had to perform at a level that I've never performed at. And sure enough, at the end of the talk, everybody came up to me and congratulated me, and they did not know I had any technical difficulties whatsoever. <laughs> Well, that's a professional. We got to learn it. We, we, we have fun with technical difficulties. They're <laughs> <laughs> old friends. They're gremlins that come up every day. Oh, yeah. the, the, those random comments that you just don't even know what to say something to. You know? <laughs> well, with that, I'd like to bring in the concept of victory. And I want to share from you another story from our book about Seabiscuit and what it takes to win. In the yep. horse racing world, there are a few legends. Secretariat, man of, man, war admiral, man of war. But nothing, nobody tops Seabiscuit. Seabiscuit did not look or act like a race horse. Born in 1933, he faced racing during the Great Depression. The first seven times he started, he dropped them. He lost every one of them, leaving him as the butt of bad jokes in his own barnyard. But as an article published on April 27, 1940, stated, Seabiscuit is the Horatio Elger hero of the turf, the horse that came up from nothing but his own courage and will to win. His strength, when he was in the post position, he couldn't bear to lose, especially when he was running second. He pulled out all the stops to beat the opponent. That put him in the running for the greatest horse in racing history. In 1937, Seabiscuit won 11 of his 15 races and was the year's leading money winner in the United States. In six seasons, he won 33 of 89 races and a total of $437, a record for American thoroughbreds. Now, world was known for his floundering pride, <laughs> his run to steel, his set legs. In more ways than one, Seabiscuit represented the way that the United States was during the Great Depression. Now, there's also something special about Seabiscuit. He was a Canadian horse. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Yeah. I have to say this. I have to say this. This is the first uh, show that I am not the only Canadian in the house. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> That's right. my Love you. Don't start speaking French. <laughs> I only swear in French. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a that's a beautiful story. That yeah. is. It is. And, uh, and the moral of the story is, you know, yeah. I think that it comes back to this. It comes back to our another golden pearl, which is vulnerable. Okay. In order to win, you have to become vulnerable. In order to put all the marbles on the line, you have to be vulnerable. Vulnerability is the birthplace of it all. And vulnerability is what makes us beautiful. It's what gives us courage. It's what gives us strength. It's what does everything for us. Vulnerability is what we have to get into in order to really get into that situation. Without being vulnerable, we can never win. And Seabiscuit was very vulnerable. He was yeah. extremely vulnerable. 
but he pulled out the stops to win. <laughs> well, you can't quit. You know, you, you have to keep going. So once, yeah. you, once you get it in your mind that this is what I want, you got to strive for it. You know, I mean, people fear, and I'm glad that you put that in as a bonus, because fear paralyzes people. You know, and they're afraid of everything. They're afraid of the unknown. They're afraid of the known. They're afraid of love. They're afraid of, of hate. They're afraid of being accepted. They're afraid of not being accepted. It's, it just rules the universe. So fear mm -hmm. is huge. Um, you have to open in order to win. Yes. Yeah, oh, you have to open. You to have lose. to be open to lose in order to win. Right, right, right. Oh, right. good point. Tools <laughs> of wisdom from Michael. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Michael and, and Doris. Yeah, another good Canadian. A. Eh? <laughs> I'm the States. I'm Massachusetts. You can hear my accent. <laughs> but, geez, now I lost my point. I had a good point. Sorry. Michael's <laughs> fault. Thanks, Mike. There you go, Mike. No, fear, 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 fear. I'm glad yeah. that in because that is that is a, a huge thing. But you know, to overcome fear is massive with with people, and to overcome fear is by what doing, right? Mm -hmm. Doing, sharing, yeah. continuing, and people don't want to start a new business venture because why? You're afraid to fail. Well, is that yep. the worst going to happen? Oh well, yeah. Maria, Maria, do you remember the story of the two wolves? Do you remember that one? Oh yes, it's a. It's basically um, it's a story. It's um, I'll try to remember how it goes, but uh, it's a old Native Indian story where a grandfather is sitting down with his son, and the son asks him, "There's two wolves fighting. One is a." Uh, uh, trying to see who's going to win. So one is full of anger and the other one is full of passion and is such, is, is loving. So the, the boy asked the grandfather, so who is going to, which one is going to win? And the grandfather says, it's the one that you feed. So between the two wolves, yeah. <laughs> so if you feed the one that's full of hate and anger, that's the one that's going to develop. Or if you feed the one with, passion and love and kindness, that's the one that's gonna win. Right. Yeah. But now again, in here, in the 13 pearls, you need them all. Yeah. You need them all to succeed. Yeah. You know, it's it's all it's all it makes the whole separate yeah. yes, they're all important. You can mm -hmm. discuss each and every single one of them singularly mm -hmm. and they're all important. You know yeah. but together together you get you get that golden pearl well you need a necklace of these golden pearls all around your neck in order to make a complete necklace with one single pearl you can have a lot but if you put the whole chain together the whole thing together it really makes it that much more beautiful that's right yeah. that's very true mm -hmm. now uh, you weren't with us on monday when we did the test harriet but Okay. But Alan said something about buying you a golden pearl necklace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I like Sorry. that. Yes. <laughs> and at ten thousand dollars a pearl, it'll take a little bit of our profits to do that. Yep. yep. Well, it's probably in the mail. Yeah, don't lose it in Canadian mail. Hello. <laughs> yeah, I think it's in the mail. <laughs> they lost my book. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> this COVID <laughs> epidemic is doing a lot to the Canada Post, especially when it's the bank. <laughs> but it's true. Everything that you've said is it for all the, the, the things that we fear, for all the negatives that happen in our lives, we find, I'm one of those people that irritates other people, by finding the silver lining, for finding that golden pearl in amongst all of the sludge of, of whatever, of the oyster, and through whatever you, I will find it. I lost a really good friend this week. Uh, it was a gentleman who made me realize that no matter what, there is always something good in everything. He had cancer. It was a tumor inside his brainstem and it just sort of, there was no way they could operate and it just got bigger and bigger until it shut his body down. And so he had to stop working when he found this out and he started drawing. He never had the chance to do it before because he was always so busy working and you know, and he became a really good artist as far as I'm concerned. And he drew butterflies. So I got two butterflies. One, it looks kind of like a fat little moth, but it was his first one. And then his last one that he, that he, that he gave me was another beautiful. And he passed away. And I know without a doubt, he is up there and he is drawn his life away. He's, he's, he's drawn like man. So that yeah. was, that was when he got really down, I kept saying when he, knew that this was really making him sad. I said, yeah, but the good thing is you learned how to draw. You know, I would tease him and that's my oh, way of doing yes. it. Oh, that's but sweet. he had some amazing art, amazing artwork and I, we lost him just this past week. Oh, sorry to hear that. That is, that is uh, sad at the same time yeah. you celebrate the goodness. Yep, you that's what I do. That. I celebrate yeah. him and everything he stood for. Mm -hmm. If you step outside your safe zone, you will always be surprised what you can achieve. I love that. Very true, Michael. I like that, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. Michael's our little, yeah, we haven't. Yeah, we like Michael. Yeah, he's a shaman. He's a, you know, he's very, he's very in touch, you know. Oh, that's great. That's or awesome. Touched, one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> His name Michael. is Michael. Touched. I got a Michael for a son. So, touched. there you go. <laughs> oh, that's fun. But, um, but what, right, I'm going to ask each of you individually, all right? And I want you to start, Alan. What, is like the most important thing you want people to get out of the book? Well, I, yeah. I think the key message we want everybody to get is it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens. Now, now that sounds like a lot of wisdom and it is, it actually came from a guy by the name of Epictetes who put those words together about 2000 years ago. Now, Epictetes was a slave in, in Greece who became a free man, okay? So he, he, be, he started a branch of philosophy called Stoicism, which is a pretty big, heavy thing. But the key words are exactly what I said to you. It's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens. So if you're given lemonade, uh, lemons, Gina and Mama, wouldn't it be better to make lemonade than it would be to hang on to those lemons? I was on a show in Florida the other day. She said, heck, the lemonade. We're going to make lemon meringue pie, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me. You know, that that's what you should be done when you're given lemons. You really should rise above those lemons and turn it into something delectable rather than something that's that's sour and tart and bitter and not very nice. You, you know, you can do a lot with what you're given. Even if it can't be delectable, it can be deliverable for a learning experience to be yeah. shared, you know, so it might not have to be delectable. 
you know. Yeah, because lemon goes good with tequila. There's no <laughs> well, Harriet, has, you know, our life is simple. It's from tragic to magic. Yes. That, that's Harriet's word. I like that. From one. tragic to magic. Yeah. Now, I can't see it from her because she might, she's been in the show now for an hour and 45 minutes here. But I want her to remember all the, I made her remember the wolf story that came back. Yeah. In the middle of our book there, which mm -hmm. is pretty hard to do. I mean, when you write a book, you write 40,000 words and you've mm -hmm. written them and you've written them and you've lived them, but you don't remember every word that you've written in that book because yeah. you'd go crazy if you did. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Heck, I can't remember five minutes ago. <laughs> So, what'd you have for breakfast, Gina? <laughs> yeah. coffee. coffee. She had a coffee. Uh, yeah, well, that's that. She lives and breathes coffee. Here's a cute yeah. one. If you focus on one star in the sky, you will miss the whole universe around you. Bruce Lee. Oh, Thank yes. Like well, I like that. Quotes, I mean, if you like quotes, I mean, there's like 144 listed or whatever. What the heck? I, yeah, I don't, yeah. Out. We don't have that one, though. You know, I like that Bruce Lee so one. Many, so many, yeah. <laughs> So yeah. Many, yeah, this book is great for the quotes too, and they're yeah. all But but now, what what is your your what you want people to take the most out of this book, Harriet? Oh my, I think in addition to what Dr. Lyka said, and a lot of it we've uh, mostly discussed it, but one that we didn't really discuss was attitude. And I think that's a big one as well because uh, like Jim Ron, I I he's one of my favorite inspirational leaders as well. He identified nine diseases of attitude. So there's, self, I don't know if I remember them all, but there's self-doubt, there's worrying, there's complaining, there's indecision, there's um, uh, over-caution. So there's so many, but uh, out of all those, the most, uh, the one that I really like to focus on is worrying because we worry about so much. For example, and the, a study has been done that 40% of the things that we worry about are from the past. Something that's happened, it'll never come back. For example, maybe you type that email and instead of sending it to one person, you send it to the whole office. Wow. <laughs> Can't take it back. And then 30% is basically things that I think that the things that are in the are in the past. I mean, no. So, so thirty percent is things that they'll never happen. For example, it could be, oh, if I go to California, I'm gonna get stuck and I'm gonna be caught in a fire or a flood. So some of them are statistically not gonna happen. So that's thirty percent. Mm -hmm. And then there's that twelve percent where we worry about. You wake up in the morning and you have a little bit of a rush, and you'd go online on Google. And they tell you, oh, oh God, cancer, or yeah, you're gonna die in the next little while. So you look at the worst scenario, then you start worrying about it. So that's twelve percent, and then there's ten percent where it basically tells you, um, you're basically worried about, oh, what am I gonna have for lunch this evening? So you worry this miscellaneous worries. If I go to Walmart, mm -hmm. if I don't go to Walmart by nine o'clock, it's gonna be closed. So that. So a total of 92% of the stuff we worry about will never happen. So 8% is legit. It's things that you really can't worry about. So it tells you how much you worry about. So I always recommend set a time to worry. Like maybe on Friday morning, I'm going to be just focused on worrying 
don't let it consume you. So the biggest mm -hmm. thing is that we worry about that. But at the end of the day, we're all going through the same thing right now. We just we we're just different. It's the same thing as you if you bring a rock and you throw it in a little puddle of water, or if you bring the rock and throw it in the ocean, or you bring the rock and you throw it in the waterfall. It's the same thing, but we all react differently. So whatever any, everybody's going through, we are all in the same boat. Just right. listen to other people, what they're going right. through. We can all relate to what we're going through. We just, there's no measuring stick on when we should stop feeling the way we are feeling. So yeah. just go with how you feel. You know, it was David Goggins that said, yeah. it was David Goggins that said, attitude is absolutely the most important thing in life. The only thing more contagious than a good attitude is a bad one. Now, Harriet yeah. and I love David Goggins. He wrote yeah. a book called Can't Hurt Me, and, and he's an amazing physical performance. And if you read his book or listen to his audio cassette, you'll cry because his life was so tragic. But he's pulled himself up. And But remember that. The only thing more contagious than a good attitude is a bad one. Yeah, yeah so, it's true. true. Yeah, if you're in around gloom and doom, you're gonna turn into gloom and doom all the time. <laughs> it's that old adage: one bad apple spoils a whole bunch. But mm -hmm. take that little yeah. apple out. Because yeah. Yeah. I, be I believe what you say. I'm worrying about packing and everything all the time. I pack a week in advance before I'm going anywhere. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> I, and then she I'll changes it. it. <laughs> and I'll, it'll be like two days, and I'll have you know. I don't know, 15 outfits. <laughs> wow, you're very Bob, organized. Bob's still in the chat room. Bob is her, is, is her, is her sweetheart. <laughs> Bob is her sweetheart and sends her from the show. But he can attest to this. She packs, she was going to her daughter's. She packed a week ahead of time. It's like, girl, what are you packing a week ahead of time for? And then she had to change things. And by the time she got there, she didn't need half the stuff. She was there. <laughs> it's better to have than not have. And it was a 12-hour drive. Right. So I can just turn around and go home and get it. And she doesn't wear the same things I wish. She doesn't have the same no style, any, nothing. But listen, all right, so all this stuff that I pack all the time, I just went away for a weekend cabin, and we went hiking around outside. I brought just sandals. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to do the shoe thing this time, right? I'm the, I'll be good. You know, I brought jackets and this and that. It was hot. I didn't need jackets. However... I didn't have my shoes. So uh, we went, you know, hiking around outside where, you know, we needed boots or, or, and repacks. And, 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 and I didn't have sneakers. Thank you, so Mom. I had to borrow, you know, boots from our friend, uh, the man, because the girls are this big and mine, are, you know, I'm tall, I'm a big girl. So yeah, I, but, you know, but see, that's me. common sense. You bring a pair of sandals, you bring a pair of shoes, and you bring a Sneaks You're going to the woods this time. I mean, well, I yeah, didn't think we were going to be doing that. That we we're going to be hanging around the cabin and uh, going, you know. I did. I didn't know. But see, that's why I pack. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gina, what's the root? What what causes that? Why do you have to pack for such? Like you pack ahead. Is there a root cause for that? Did something happen one day? No, and you said no, from no, now on. Have stuff, yeah. And I and yeah. you know, like we go to a lot of events, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have to pack so many things. 
Okay. Bob doesn't really, you know, it's two minutes and he doesn't really care what he has, you know. But I mean, <laughs> even if we have to bring all our equipment, we have to set up a table for the event. You know, it's like, I'm going to make sure we have everything. And if I don't, it won't be in there. You know, oh, like, so oh, it's preparation. <laughs> yeah. So I, my, my brain goes, plus I'm a boss. I was a boss. I did construction. You know, I'm the one who has to make sure. All the materials around the job. Everyone does okay. their job is fine. Everything. You know, I'm very OCD. I'm very matter of fact. Yeah. You know, and I don't fool around when I'm working. You know, I don't. I will make this one. I like crazy. your attitude. <laughs> I like your attitude. <laughs> I get the job done. I get a job done right the first time. <laughs> no comment. True. <laughs> make sure, yeah, it's a lot of OCD, but uh, but the job gets done. It gets done right. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. the bottom line, and I don't have to but do, here, it, do it. Twice. But here's the thing: is worry. My 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 thoughts on worry is that my son, my youngest son, he is he's a worrier. We're going to use him as my example. He worries about things, and and sometimes he'll call me up and he'll be stressing, and and like mom, what did the, the like, dude, why are you freaking out? That's is it making you it's making things better now by you freaking out and worrying for any for that matter, anybody else who freaks out, like, oh my god, if I don't bring this and if I don't bring that, and it's like <laughs> this one over there, oh, here she goes, and there she goes. Okay, yeah. she worries like crazy. <laughs> but the thing is, if it's not there, yeah. My way of thinking is like I can go to the store and get whatever I need if I'm missing it, you know. If not, I I borrowed somebody else's boots. Why yeah. worry over it? Because all it does for me, I'm I, I when I worry, it goes into my stomach, and I oh, know it's not. So I yes. give myself it's yeah. like anger for me. I give myself 15 minutes. I can worry for 15 minutes on something because it's not going to make it better. It's not going to make the situation better. It's not going to change the things. Damn it! I forgot my shoes. I borrow somebody's boots, you know. <laughs> Damn it, this is going wrong. Eh, give yourself the 15 minutes to sort of, uh, which I know that she did for longer than 15 minutes. I'm so sure. Bobby had to tell her, but yeah. and and I love you, Gina, because you this is who you are. And when she mm -hmm. gets when she gets in that mode of you know, worry and anger and frustration. She leaves me a voice message on Facebook, and I love it because I'll wake up to such interesting messages from Gina. Going, oh, okay, and then I'll call her up and I'll tease her, make her laugh, and she'll forget all about it, or yeah. not all about it, but just yeah, yes. worse. Like you two are a good force, we are a good force. You know. Yeah. 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 You should try that. Uh, five, four, three, two, one. Have you ever tried that? That mindfulness. I. You know, I reading these things really makes me. Um, think and and just yeah. that second you know yeah just that works too you, you have to have five things that you see four things that you can hear three things that you can smell two things you can touch and one things you can taste so it's about the senses right. it really helps I like it, it gets yeah. you back in the moment it gets you out of yourself so that yeah. whatever anger or angst or whatever mm -hmm. moment that you're in it gets you out of that and back to you then you can focus yeah it's yeah. used for people who have anxiety or people who don't want to fly it says five four three two one it's uh you can look it up yep. it's a five four three two one mindfulness yeah <laughs> it'll help you girl if you have ocd i have it too 
yeah. yeah I, well, you know, it, a lot of people do. A lot of people do. It's just how you work with it and how you um, how you make it work for you. you we know? diagnose ourselves, of course. It's okay. not official. Yeah, right. Well, you don't need a doctor to tell us that. I don't need to pay him to yeah. tell me I have OCD. I know I have OCD. I, yeah. I, it, it is what it is. I've gotten a lot better. I mean, I've done the things that, you know, before I... I one of the houses I've had many houses. One of the houses that I had, I built all the furniture in it. I built the the tables. Wow. I built the vanities. I did, you know, I did all the woodwork wow. over. I did everything, and it was like you come into the house and be like, take your shoes off. Oh my god, you know, um, <laughs> don't put your feet on the furniture. Don't put, you know, use a coaster. I was like, oh, panic. Mm -hmm. Oh, because it's like, because I built these things. I'm not like that so much anymore. I'm still. You know, I everything's got to be picked up and in its place. And Bob can again can attest to that. You know, so yeah. I keep it neat for the most part. You know, but I'm not anal about it like I used to be. Mm -hmm. You know, and I had a um, a cleaning company too. You know, because that's I, I I can do that quick fast. But it's a science. Oh no! Oh. <laughs> yeah, oh, up. Gina, before we get off here, can mm -hmm. I give all your guests a very special present? Absolutely. I'd like to give them 52 golden pearls, one a week for the next 52 weeks. And all they have to do tech is text us, Harriet and I, at 1-819-717-2515. That's 1-819-717-2515. And we will send you a golden pearl every week, every Tuesday, for the next 52 weeks. So you will have a very special guest. Golden pearls, pearls with an S, so that they could, the automatic computer could send it out to you. I think your guests would love it. And if anybody would like a copy of our book, Amazon.ca or Amazon. No, 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 no. We want them to. We want them to go to your 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 website so That's the money can go. Better. You remembered. <laughs> I like that. Fantasticlifebook.com. Order your copy there fantasticlifebook.com because then we can put 20% of the profits of our book to a, a shelter in your area to end yeah. domestic violence. 10 seconds. Oh my goodness. Well, listen, you guys, you've been wonderful. And um, thank you so much. I'm not yeah. going to play my outro video because I won't have enough time, but I just, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate the work that you put into the book. Honestly, you know, it's been, it's been wonderful. I'd love to have you guys back on again. I definitely mm -hmm. want to keep in touch and know what you're up to next. Fantastic. Yeah, thank, you. thank you, Harriet. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Laika. Thank you, Gina and Mama D. It's oh, great meeting nice. both of you. <laughs> Very nice meeting both of you too. Mm -hmm. All right. Good night, everybody. Yeah, good night. Good night, everyone. Good night, all. Don't go anywhere.